Pina Javasi is the Climate Director at the Forest Stewardship Council, which is an independent not-for-profit organization that brings in experts from the economical, environmental, and social domains to promote the management of and protect forests on a global scale. Pina Javasi started working at the FSC 18 years ago and has worked in many branches of and different locations of the organization around the world. Pina Javasi, welcome to the One Planet Podcast. Thank you very much, Mia. Pleasure to be here with you. So you're at the Forest Stewardship Council and you've had a, a varied career as an environmentalist. What drew you to this council and the mission of preserving and protecting and, and more ethically managing our forests? Well, I studied forestry, so I'm a forester. I am Peruvian, so of course I live surrounded by forests. And since I was a child, most of my family were dedicated to nature fishing engineers, agriculture engineers. So I started to love nature since I was very little. And then when I realized how important is the Amazon for the world and that I was living in a country that's really, really important, not only because of forests, but also for biodiversity, for indigenous peoples, I decided that I wanted to do that. And I knew that that was the place that I wanted to be. And I've been around for more than 18 years in FSC, I mean, different locations, different positions, different countries and regions. But it is an organization that I want to keep collaborating with. And I really, really share our mission. Yeah, so 18 years. So FXC is around for 26 years. So you've really seen the evolution, the strengthening yes. and the development of the organization. Just looking back in, in terms of the challenges that it may have faced during the period when you joined today. Sure. Well, as, as you may know, FSC started in Mexico, so the foundation and the mother company, let's say, organization is located in Oaxaca in Mexico. At that time, a small group of people funded this organization that has now more than a thousand members. At that time, I don't think there were more than 20 members in the founding uh, assembly. And when I joined FSC, FSC had just moved to Europe, to Bonn, where the headquarters are located. And I think that was the, the intention at that moment was to position as well responsible forest management in the place that has a huge market for sustainability. So the, the move from, in, from Mexico to, to Germany allowed us to position FSC as a, as a key tool for sustainability and responsible forest management in the European market. Yes. And so, I, and I don't know how it works with the different branches, or I don't know how you characterize them. Yes, you are in Europe with Kim Horstensen. Is there an alliance with the World Wildlife Fund? Because I, I know that he was involved with that as well. We have a long story of partnership with the World Wildlife Fund globally and also regionally and locally. Uh, WWF was a big supporter of, of FSC since the beginning. They actually hosted many of the initial local offices. I, I worked for them at the beginning before joining FSC. So I think there is a kind of natural relationship between WWF and FSC as partners, uh, as allies. And of course, we shared as well the mission of getting more forests being responsible managed around the world. No, that's it's very interesting. And when we think about managing forests, 
I, I don't have much experience. I, I maybe have been involved in some kind of planting initiatives, but for the certification, for those who don't know, how often do, would you be visiting uh, different forests? What is the supply chain? How does that work? Yeah, but it, it is important to clarify that as FSC, we don't audit in the forest because we develop the framework, the standards. So the evaluations are done by a third party, which are called certification bodies. Those organizations are accredited or endorsed following global requirements as FSC auditors and FSC verifiers. They go to the forest for forest management certification. They have to visit the operation. There is main audit every five years. So the certificate is being renewed every five years. And every year there is an annual surveillance of it where the certifiers check some topics or aspects that to be strengthened or key topics inside different forest areas. Because as you know, forests are different and the conditions in the forest as well are different from, I mean, social conditions, environmental conditions, ecological conditions and different parts of the world and different types of forests as well, both different conditions that are being verified and checked by the certification bodies. So this audit happens every every five years. Every five years, the certificate is being renewed. There is an annual surveillance and that's the forest management process. Then for the chain of custody is how we call it, the supply chain certification process. The chain of custody is basically the guarantee that the product that has the FSC label comes from a forest that has been certified. So it allows this definition of origin of the product through the different links in the chain. So every link in the chain gets verified by the certification body. And that happens not only from a process point of view, in terms of documentation, separation of material. So, so it is not mixed with material that is not certified. Uh, but there is also a check of social and environmental conditions in the manufacturing processes throughout the chain. And that's verified by the certification bodies as well. So if the process, of course, is it's positive, then the companies will get the license to use the FSC label in their products and sell the, their materials as FSC certified. And it's an amazing amount of this certification process and how many countries this covers. I believe it's 89 countries now. Yes, yes. And we have also reached out more than 230 million hectares globally. And, and I understand that more than around more than 50,000 chain of custody, which means products that are being certified with the FSLA and carrying the FSC label. That's amazing. I have only really become aware of, you know, how the, you, these, you know, these logos that you sort of like, you take it for granted, but now just anything that you can think of that is a paper or pulp origin, it's just that you, you can see that label there. Of course, we'll link for, to more information where people can find out more. And it was interesting in terms of the, it's not just making sure that the forests are managed properly in terms of forests, but it's ethically managed so that I didn't realize how much this came to bear, but we have uh, modern slavery. I think it's amazing how forest-based products are so important, not only for our day-to-day lives, from the paper we consume, and other very, very basic articles, but it's also very, to me, it's it's amazing to think how forest management can affect pos- positively the life of many people. 
from indigenous peoples that live and depend on forests to the workers that are also very important in the rural sector, in the forestry sector. The forestry sector in producing countries is one that creates a lot of employment in their operations, but also, of course, for the conservation of key biodiversity values, wildlife, and even the conservation of very basic environmental services for humanity, such as water and, and air quality. So, and of course, climate change, which is a, a huge problem and challenge that we're facing together with this pandemic, but also in many, in many regions and countries in the world, deforestation is the main cause of greenhouse gas emissions. And this is something that many people maybe don't know yet, but the importance of forests in our day-to-day life is huge. I was wondering, going back to when you were talking about indigenous people, how exactly do you guys wor- uh, work with them? Well, in many places and regions in the world, indigenous people live and manage their own forest resources. I mean, I, I can put the example of the Amazon, where I come from, where a lot of forest areas are, are property of indigenous peoples and managed by indigenous peoples and part of their lives, their day-to-day lives. So in that sense, FSC certification has achieved certification of these indigenous peoples areas. So the, the areas that are being managed, used, and are beneficial for indigenous peoples are FSC certified. On the other hand, if we talk about areas with high-scale operations, let's call it plantations, there is also a close link to indigenous people's rights because they are, of course, affected positively and, well, sometimes not with FSC, but negatively as well, but by forest operations. So what we do in FSC is to ensure that the rights uh, of indigenous peoples are being respected in general in the forest areas or, you know, related to forest operations, that they can still use the resources that they are entitled to, to use, not only by law, but also customary, customary rights of indigenous peoples. The use of food that comes naturally from the forest, such as Brazil nuts, for example, in, in Brazil and Peru, which are key for, for indigenous peoples' eating habits, for example, or controlled hunting for subsistence, which is also something very, very critical for indigenous peoples because they have all their lives fed with, let's say, forest animals. But in general, yes, we we also respect the traditional use of the forest by indigenous peoples. So all these costumes, traditions that need to be respected from a religious uh, or from a cultural point of view as well. And that's the ethical management of forests. And you've been in the field as a forester. What is it like to see a forest that's not being managed well? I can tell you it's terrible. (laughs) I had the chance to fly over the Amazon and I have seen how even FSC certified operations have neighboring areas of forest that have been completely cleared and deforested. And then you see how this starts to expand over time. So, I mean, this is the reality of deforestation in many places that these most of the times agriculture frontiers expand every year. And if you come 10 years later, you will see that most of the forests have been cleared. So yes, that's a big reality. If you go to Guatemala, Petén, which is an area where FSC certification is mandatory. So all uh, forest concessioners need to have FSC certification to maintain 
their concession uh, contracts to the government. And, and it's incredible if you see a satellite image uh, there, how the FSC certified operations are green and all the rest is basically black because uh, it's, it's completely deforested and cleared. I come from a country where this reality is it's something that you see every day. And the problem is not just not seeing the forest, but all the social and cultural problems that that brings, of course, you know, more opening to illegal logging, to violation of human rights, drug, the drug, let's say, market that is connected as well to forest areas that have been cleared. So a huge and many social problems connected to the loss of forests. And what are you, you know, looking forward to COP26? What's what would you like to see happen, even not just in the area of forestry, but what are your hopes? Well, from an FSC point of view, we expect and we would like to position better forests and sustainable forest management as a nature-based solution against climate change. I think there's still this perception that conservation and restoration are the only ways to maintain forests. But responsible forest management is a way to maintain forests over time as well. And I mean, from a more, let's say, political or policy point of view, of course, I mean, you know that there will be key discussions happening at the negotiation level in, in COP26, including some more creative and innovative market models for carbon and carbon class benefits. That's how we call it, that the benefits that come from forests that are not only related to carbon sequestration, but also related to social and environmental benefits, but also how developed countries will commit to support developing countries in their efforts towards climate change mitigation and adaptation. So, I mean, that's something we would like to see as well. Climate finance being advanced, more projects on the ground being funded by the investment community and more commitments from the governments as well. I mean, in relation to their nationally determined contributions uh, regarding forests and forest uh, restoration and, and climate change mitigation, of course. And that's on the, obviously, a legislative level. I believe you also, and, and I just helped describe it to us, you're developing now, soon to be sharing your, your toolbox. And is that about more the, the individual commitment or how does, how, how can people uh, find out more about it? How can they get involved? Yeah, we believe that there are still big challenges uh, in particular for investors, governments and organizations to demonstrate that their investments in forests and in particular in, in forest restoration, as you know, we are entering the UN decade of, of forest landscape restoration are actually delivering positive impacts on the ground. As a certification scheme, we have created a standard that defines what is responsible forest management, standard that balances social, environmental, and economic benefits. But furthermore, we also created a new procedure in 2018 that can be used to verify positive impacts on ecosystem services. Those are water conservation, soil protection, biodiversity conservation, carbon sequestration, and recreational uses of forests. Through that procedure, we are now expanding the use of, of certification to demonstrate these impacts. And, and these impact claims can be used by the market to communicate how these projects are actually delivering those benefits on the ground. So looking at the investment sector and what investors and governments are looking for. I think we are entering in this 
new era of impact reporting and companies, stakeholders, and investors having to really verify the impacts they create. And there is no currently a global framework to verify those impacts. So this is an element that we have in our system that can be aligned and also can be used together with other methodologies, standards, and protocols that are being developed by very, very important organizations such as IUCN, the World Resources Institute through their 20 by 20 restoration uh, initiative, even NGOs such as TNC and WWF working on restoration project organizations such as the, the high carbon stock approach that also has a restoration component. So what we want to see is how all these guidances, methodologies, standards, protocols can be aligned with the ones that we can deliver. And, and I think the, the value of FSC in this context is that we translate the use of our standards to a, let's say, market mechanism. And the market mechanism is the one that guarantees uh, that this invest, these investments and products come from responsible forest management and, and deliver social and environmental positive impact. I was wondering, you work with countries all over the world. Do you ever get pushback from different governments or just general frustration while working? I have to say that over the past 10 years, I would say, government policy has been much more positive regarding forestry worldwide. In the past, I and being a forester, I was aware of countries that even had policies that could, for example, exacerbate uh, forest deforestation or degradation uh, and the, exp the expansion of the agriculture borders. But now that's not the case. I would say that the main problem that we face regarding the relationship with governments, that it's not a relationship with government's problem, it's the weak governance that exists in the countries to make the normative frameworks work and being implemented properly. And all this political instability that happens in many countries where we advance a government agenda and then the government change and then you have to go step back you know, for a couple of years and try to convince the new, you know, the new party and the new government that these are critical and important issues. So, but uh, as I say, this has improved significantly. I would say that currently as FSC, we have much more government support that we had maybe 15 years ago. And, and many more close relationships, working relationships with governments, in particular in, in key regions such as Latin America and Africa. And then I don't know all the solutions, but I think about plastics uh, pollution now, and maybe you know other solutions, uh, but as we wean ourselves, I guess, on from plastics uh, dependency, I'm, I don't know, please tell me the solutions there because I, I haven't heard them all. Mm -hmm. We'll be depending more on the paper products. And so the importance of uh, forestry, uh, ethical forestry management is, is so, will become even more important. But just tell me some of the solutions that you've come across and how that, how those can be addressed. Yes, we, as FSC, we believe in the circular bioeconomy agenda that it's becoming much more important and will become more important in the coming years. Uh, and when we talk about raw materials, I, I think there is a trend to transform, let's say, synthetic-based raw materials into more use of natural-based raw materials and particularly in forestry-based raw materials. And, and we see that 
in the construction industry. This is very, very important. Many, many regions and countries in the world use a lot of wood for construction, but this is not the case everywhere in the world because the benefits of using wood instead of concrete, for example, are not being very well understood by the construction sector, but we're working towards that to make the use of wood more prominent. Also, the sustainable textile industry, as you know, now there are textiles and clothes being produced from cellulose-based material coming from forests, and, and many of, of these companies are FSC certified, so you can now buy, buy clothes that have an FSC label that comes from FSC certified forests, and of course, the comparison of the use of wood-based materials in relation to carbon, to carbon impacts is much less than using other types of materials, in particular synthetic materials that, of course, you cannot recycle, or, I mean, you can recycle, but they, they will not biodegrade in the future. So. I think there are industries that are advancing this agenda of changing the, the raw materials they use. I mean, I can talk about bamboo for construction, for example, as a very, very huge growing industry being used for different purposes, including construction as well, textiles, food and others. Uh, and rubber, for example, being used, I mean, rubber coming from natural forest, tropical forest, being used in the apparel, fashion and foodwear industry. So, so I think these industries that have the I mean, close relationship with customers and the civil society and consumers in general can help us to position these, these type of products instead of synthetic and artificial products that are basically causing uh, more damage and, and going against climate change as well. Bamboo is interesting. I don't completely understand it, but I believe that there's innovative uses of bamboo that really encourages uh, biodiversity and help regenerate the soil. You, you know more about this. Bamboo is a product that has so many different uses and there are so many different species as well all over the world. I can tell you about a concrete example that, that we had a couple of years ago. This is a bamboo cooperative led by women in Ecuador. And this is a, I mean, relatively small operation if you compare the production of bamboo in China, for example. So this operation that is being managed uh, by this cooperative has certified their bamboo production and plantations with FSE, but mainly not only for the use of the bamboo products and the lab labeling the bamboo products with the FSE label, but also to deliver and guarantee water conservation impacts regarding bamboo. As you know, bamboo is one of the species that can actually conserve water on the ground. And this area in particular in Ecuador has huge of, I mean, water problems. So this, this operation has helped to maintain the water sources in these areas. Listening to Pina Javasi speak about her experience working with the Forest Stewardship Council was eye-opening. She has almost 20 years of experience working with the organization in different countries and in different departments. Something that I was not aware of regarding the certifications given out was that for the product to gain one, every company involved with the making of the product has to be FSC certified. This means for a product to have a final certification, there can be no mixed materials in it. As a person who wants to get into the environmental protection field and possibly work for the FSC or other organizations with similar goals, listening to her was inspiring and helpful. 
Before this interview, I did not know much about forest conservation on a global scale. I have always been interested in brownfield restorations in America, so hearing about land restoration on an international scale gives me more of a sense of how organizations are handling restoration work. Pina Javasi's answer regarding how renewable resources can be used opposed to plastics was part of this podcast that stood out to me. She talks about bamboo and other cellulose-based materials used for things like construction, food, and textiles. When I make my own art projects like sculptures or collages, I use materials that I find in the recycling or from things I own and no longer use. I think that the coolest art can come from everyday objects that some people may think aren't useful. One of my favorite art projects I've ever made was I took old CDs of mine and used the album art to create a bigger collage. I never listened to these CDs anymore, and instead of throwing them out, I could use them to make something a lot cooler. Because I used my old CDs for this, the ones I listened to as a child, the final collage has nostalgia aspects to it. I also don't want to use materials I buy because I have so many things laying around the house that could just be turned into something new. Any sort of way to diminish the amount of plastic being used on a consumer level can help in the long run. Her explanation on bamboo in particular and how it's used in construction and how it can help conserve water in places with water issues shows progress in environmental sustainability. More and more sustainable alternatives are being found and society can hopefully move away from using polluters. And do you work with any other certification bodies or how does that, how do you you share information or is there... I'm not sure the communication process. Well, we are part of the ICL Alliance. So ICL Alliance is the a global umbrella for the most respected certification standards in the world. And the Alliance, I mean, they have their own, let's say, protocols. We are also being evaluated by them every year in terms of the, you know, the ICL requirements, compliance. So in that context, the ISIL platform isn't it's a, an opportunity for us to exchange with other certification standards. Currently, we have a project that is actually funded by the ISIL by ISIL together with the gold standard, which is a standard for carbon certification, where we are testing how different standards can apply. I mean, how the standards can be applied to account carbon at the forest level and throughout the supply chain. So there we can deliver carbon emission factors that are credible to the markets. In this project, there are other certification standards participating, such as ISIL, the Better Cotton Initiative, uh, such as Fair Trade, the Better Cotton Initiative, and NFC and others. And thinking about it, this is the macro view of the, you know, the certifications all over the world. I'd like to think, you know, if you could expand a little bit more on your personal experiences, of course, you said of the Amazon or just what it's like, why did you decide to devote your life to it? And I must be, I've never had a chance to visit and I I don't know what that experience is like. Yeah, I think that when you visit a forest that is FSC certified and and you see the people living in there, uh, in my case, I have visited indigenous communities. I, I had the chance to stay with them once for three days in the middle of the forest there was an earthquake happening at that, that night yeah that was well we live in an earthquake zone you know i was basically staying in the house of the chaman of the let's say religious leader of the community and they were telling me about all these connections with nature they i mean their wife showed me 
pharmacy they had in the garden, basically, with all the, you know, natural herbs and plants that they used to cure all illnesses in the community. So, I mean, I was amazed by, you know, how forests are important for our lives, <laughs> even, you know, for our health. So, because most of the medicines, of course, come from, from forest resources and plants. So, yes, I think that really motivated me to continue in that, in that, in that road, let's say. When I was a student, a forestry student, I, we had to do uh, practices in the Amazon. That's an obligatory part of uh, our curricula. And you have to stay two months in the forest. Uh, and I got malaria. Yeah, that was pretty terrible because, you know, the, the, the teachers wanted to send me back to the city for the treatment. Uh, and then I, I would have to wait for a year to do that curse again. So I decided to stay with malaria in the forest. But that was an amazing experience as well because I was also treated with natural herbs. And then I got recovered. So... It's, it's really incredible, you know, an, an illness like malaria that is cured by a tree that is, a, you know, native from Peru, actually, that is a quinine tree, that is a symbol of the, of, I mean, of Peru as well. So, yes, I think, you know, forests are so important. They, I mean, of course, the beauty they have, you know, that time that I visited the community, the, the house of the chaman was located like in a small island in the river. And, and I had to go through the river like for half an hour with this five-year-old girl in a canoe <laughs> that, that was driving me over the river. So it's amazing how, how the people live with nature and maybe we don't notice that. So, I mean, that's my connection with nature. I think being a forester and, and visiting the forest and working for FSC. Oh, that's a wonderful experience. I can only imagine what it's like to be experience the forest and, 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 and to have your courage to remain through malaria. Through So, I mean, you had a good natural doctor there too, so I'm glad you made it through on that. I think I'm part Irish and I, of course, spent many years in, in Ireland and also France is very agriculturally developed. And we always think, and I think of Ireland as being very green, but when I think of it, it's really very cultivated land. It wasn't always, where are the forests? Of course, there are areas. So I always thought it is a very healthy land, but I think it's farming. It's not, it's not quite that. We yeah, unfortunately, countries like Ireland, natural resources and forests have been depleted. There is a song that it's a very famous traditional folk song that is called Green Fleets. Yeah, and that's meant to be talking about deforestation in Ireland and, and how Irish forests were destroyed. Uh, I don't know whether that is true, but I heard that this was written originally by Henry VIII. Yes, yeah, I didn't but, know it was written by him, but I didn't know it was about deforestation. It, it's about the loss of forest. Well, that's certainly something to know the next time you think it's a, it's a romantic song, but the, it's a love yeah. letter to our forests. Yes. And they and can you imagine just thinking back, the, the, if they were thinking about deforestation then, I'm imagining it was, it was still a little bit more thriving than now. I know it was going through a, a period of deforestation. So we haven't been listening really, but it, it's changing. So that's what you're doing. Yeah, since many, many years. And this is what we want to avoid. I mean, and, and, and work in FSC for not to happen in other areas. I'm really encouraged to hear about so many uh, initiatives, both at FSC, but just all this regenerative agriculture, which is becoming more and more mainstream. Uh, 
not enough, but it's it's becoming accepted. Oh, it's it's good to have biodiversity. <laughs> These kind of things that indigenous communities always knew, but we somehow forgot. And in terms of what you look for in the, the next 10 years, you know, what you would like to achieve, you know, what are some of those goals? Well, I, I would like to see more governments, the corporate sector and financial institutions investing in forests and sustainable forest management, conservation and restoration of forests. And, and I would like to see as well, more people in the forest being benefited and by these investments. I think one of the challenges that we see in general, in particular in developing countries, is the difficulties for scaling up these projects. I mean, that are that start like very, very small at very local level, but then the investors want big projects. And you know, how do you make that link? So a project is, is interesting and attractive for investors, but at the same time, you, you make it happen on the ground in the best possible way. So, so I think that's that's one thing that I would like to see. And I think governments are very, very important and crucial for that to happen. More programs to develop forestry-related projects with communities on conservation, on restoration, and also the more, more use of raw materials connected to forests, bamboo, rubber. These materials that grow naturally in many of these countries and can really deliver and, and be also important for key markets all, all over the world. We've recently seen uh, legislation in, in Germany with young people and the decision of the high court to say that the German government wasn't doing enough to uh, meet its its promises and they weren't rigorous enough in terms of securing the future of you know climate security as a human right. Uh, I don't know what the situation is now in Peru or some other countries where FSC is active do you think that that can be something that catches on around the world well in, in general i think that there are sometimes very big gaps between forest related legislation if you compare europe for example and latin america in latin american countries i mean the legislation uh, and policy in europe is very very advanced but at the same time as it becomes more advanced it becomes more difficult to align with the other types of legislation. I mean, more, more than legislation, I think the problem is the implementation of it, right? Because I mean, if you make tougher legislation at the European level, which I think it's, it's good, then you have to make sure that the countries that are delivering the products can actually deliver that. You know, and help them do that because this, is, this doesn't happen from one day to the other, right? I mean, the problem to me is that sometimes you make the gap bigger instead of really making a closer connection, right? So many times producing countries can be incentivized and disadvantaged if there are not real mutual legislation or initiatives between the regions and the countries. So, and as I say, I mean, we have great legislation in, in Latin America. The problem is implementation. I mean, the legislation is not the problem. It's how, how you implement that legislation and how you make people comply with that legislation, the type of incentives you give people as well. So I think in that sense, the European Union and markets such as the United States and others through commercial agreements with producing countries can actually support the integration of policies rather than building a bigger gap. How has the pandemic affected your work and the FSC's work? 
I would say that in general, and, and that has happened not only with this pandemic, but has happened in the past with big financial crisis, uh, global financial crisis, such as the, the one that happened in, I don't know, when was that, 2013? But, you know, what we have seen is that companies that are FSC certified really pass through the crisis in a much better way than the ones that were not certified. So, I mean, their financial stability and, and markets were not really affected by the pandemic in a, I mean, in a global way. That's one thing that we have seen in terms of the forest. And again, coming from a, from a forest country, this is a real problem because the pandemic has also exacerbated abandonment, like forest areas, you know, where there is no surveillance or control. So there is a growing trend of illegal logging in those areas. No authorities being present. I mean, pol police is mostly. What we have seen is this trend that there is more illegal logging in the forest areas. There is less, you know, police control, less government control. Governments are allocated to control the pandemic and you know, make the people follow the rules. So yes more drug business happening in connection to forests as well. So yeah, I mean, I think for the local people, of course, and not only that, the pandemic also affecting communities and indigenous people that live in the forest and of course do not have medicines really, or even health system or a, a good health infrastructure. So there's a lot of indigenous peoples that have died because of, of COVID-19. So, so yes, I mean, in general, you can also tell that it has affected the habits of people in a maybe positive way, you know, with less transport happening in many cities where people are doing virtual work, maybe also less traffic, less cars in the streets. That happened at the beginning of the pandemic where I could see just on top of my house, falcons that I haven't seen for years, for example, in the city, even pumas I know in Chile coming out in the city wow. <laughs> because <laughs> the streets were isolated. Yes, I, I think it's a trade-off between what is good for nature and what is good for the people. And, and we need to create a balance for that. But definitely what I believe is that we cannot live as we lived before the pandemic and that we need to learn from, from what we've passed uh, and also understand that nature is also critical because, as you know, there is a big theory of zoonosis being the the cause of this COVID-19, you know, and not only that, but I, I think there is around, it's calculated that there are around 6 million, million viruses connected to, na to nature and forests that can affect the hu human beings. So, so, yeah, this can be only one of, of it. And unfortunately, but they're also very vulnerable to, you know, to what, you know, the, let's say civilization bring to them, not only positively, but also negatively. And in terms of, I know you have a number of these certifications and you have this controlled wood standard for GM, with a position on GM, just tell me what it is. Well, in our current standard, we don't allow the use of genetically modified trees for commercial purposes. So this is under our current rules. So there is no FSC certification connected to products that come from genetically modified trees from a commercial point of view. But we also understand that forests are under a big pressure in terms of the growing demand of 
wooden fiber materials. And that if, I mean, if we want to maintain natural forests and all the values connected to those and avoid degradation and deforestation, we need to make the forest industry more efficient. I'm not saying that that will be through genetically modified trees, but we need to understand what are the methodologies, technologies, and innovations that can make the forest industry more efficient in the future. So then we, we reduce the pressure to these natural habitats. And personally, I know I think that it's very important to take that uh, stand. I, I don't know if I understand it as much as I, I should, but it did seem absurd to me some of the patenting process, which is really taking away, we're talk, you're talking about indigenous cultures and the wisdom and the knowledge they have for years and then saying, no, you don't own this. We own this. It seems ridiculous. Yes, I mean, in FSC, we respect the traditional property of indigenous peoples. And in, I mean, in countries like Peru, this is becoming a huge issue. I can tell you a kind of an anecdote because we, we started a project with indigenous women around four years ago. This is an FSC certified operation in the Peruvian Amazon. And this is a community uh, that belongs to an ethnic called Chipibo Conibo. And, and in this, in their traditions, they, they do these beautiful textile patterns. So they embroider them and they color them with natural dyes from the trees. So they have a palette of colors, like 15 colors made out of plants, flowers, uh, and, and tree bark, for example. So we, we initiated this project with them to, to to be able to position their textiles with high design, let's say, industry in, in Peru. So very many top designers were really interested on doing these beautiful lamps with, with these women. And that was a very long lasting relationship and work. We had to work with NGOs that really work very close with them at the local level. And like one month later, there is a very big store and very fashionable store that you can find in many airports actually it's like Peruvian based clothes and they launched this collection of Chipibo designs in textiles and they didn't have the the agreement of the Chipibo community so the next day you saw 200 Chipibo women in front of the main store here in Lima protesting against that so so they had to actually take out all the collection they had all over the world because there was not an agreement and there was not the engagement uh, of these people that, that the designs belonged to. So, I mean, this is crucial. I think this was a learning process that was basically the same communities that work with us in a very different way. But we need to respect the rights and traditions of communities always, and also the pace of work they have, because it's not the same. You know, they, they have their times, they have their own processes, and they have their own ways to do things. And I think that's something that we need to learn. And I'm so glad that they have been able to speak out and have their voices heard like that and then learn from other <laughs> protest movements. It's so important. You were speaking about time, and I wonder what that's like, you know, when you've been immersed in the forests or in uh, field work, how that <laughs> changes. Well, I think this is a challenge. I mean, time in the forest is a challenge when you want to really promote the forest industry, because as you know, it takes a lot of time 
to have a, a forest product and a tree growing. So, I mean, in a sustainable way. So, for example, it's really difficult to convince investors to put money in, you know, in the forest where they will only see that returns in 20 years time or 15 years time. And that, that's one. And the second one is connected to the risks. I mean, even natural risks that are also connected to climate change, I mean, forest fires, floodings that can actually also basically finish with your investment and finish with your forest area. So, so time is an issue in, in forestry. But I think that more than that is also how we value the other services that forests are providing since day one. I mean, it's not just the tangible product, but it's the, the, the benefits, the ecosystem services they are maintaining since basically they, are, they have started to be there. So, I mean, water, air quality, soil, those are services that forests are protecting much earlier than delivering a tangible product that we can use in our houses. So. So I think that's that's one of the, I think, key topics to position. I'm looking at in the background there, there's art. Is that art of your of your native Peru? Is it your family art? Oh, no, it, this is a violinist <laughs> because my kids love music. So <laughs> basically, and, and this is yes, this is a Peruvian painter that paints nature, the, the ones in the right. So, yeah. So this is bamboo, actually, one of it in the top. I mean, I, I'm a very big fan of bamboo <laughs> as a plant and I mean, as a forest, it's such a vers you know, versatile plant and has so many uses. It's amazing. Now yeah. promoting in FSC, the growing of the of FSC certified bamboo as well, together with the value chain team in, in Bonn. I thought it might be some of the art connected to your family. And I was wondering, just in closing, you know, obviously you grew up in a family where these values of sustainability and thinking not just for short-term solutions, but what how we can restore our planet were instilled in you. You know, what were some of the things that were important that your parents or teachers taught you, how do you pass this on to, to your children? And, and how can we, you know, improve our education models? So, you know, respect for this planet is really one that's at the center of our education system. Yes. Well, I, I come from a family that is actually, I would say, dominated by women. And this happens a lot in Latin America. My, I have two daughters. I live with my mother, and, and and a person that also helps me that it's like my sister so and I think well first of all the love to nature I think is something that we nurture to our children particularly being, being, being women since my kids were little they had to understand that I was traveling so much because I was doing something meaningful for the world and otherwise they would I mean they were upset but every time they saw something happening with FSC, uh, a TV commercial with FSC, or a panel in the street, or a message from an ambassador, or, I mean, our messages in social media talking about the benefits and these beautiful stories connected to forests and, and how FSC certification contributes to good forest management. I, I think that they were very happy and very proud. So that made me feel less guilty of traveling that much. Yes, and in particular, the love of nature, as I say, you know, trying to get them always connected to what is important and also understand that we are responsible and they will be responsible of, of their future in terms of our habits, in particular, of course, our consumption habits. What is, I mean, how important it is to choose a certified product instead of a product that 
you know, you don't know where it comes or it comes from. It can come from very, very, let's say, harmful practices. So, so I think, yeah, we have a huge responsibility. I mean, mothers in particular, I would say, and women. I'm also, also always trying to advocate for projects that connect women and, and provide you know, benefits to women. I, I think we have a huge role regarding climate change. And of course, as well, women and children are the most affected by climate change in, in many of these regions and countries. So yes, and you know, just living in a kind of natural and healthy life and trying to get connected to what nature can bring us in general. And I think as well, just being able to say that the paper that you're using you know, at school comes from forests. I mean, and in those forests, many other values are being maintained. And I think this is an important message to give to our children. It certainly is. We have to think about beyond what is just in front of us, what went into making it, what lives, what habitats, and are we doing the most to ensure it can continue? And I think that that's what you're doing. Uh, and I know that's what you're doing at the Forest Stewardship Council. So I want to thank you, Pina Dravasi and Forest Stewardship Council for all you do to help promote ethically and social responsible management of the world's forests. Thank you for adding your voice to the One Planet. One Planet Podcast is produced by The Creative Process. This interview was conducted by Mia Funk with the participation of collaborating universities and students. Associate interview producer on this podcast was Ivy Traco. Digital media coordinator is Hannah Story Brown. Theme music is written and performed by Juan Sanchez. We hope you enjoyed this program. If you would like to get involved in One Planet Podcast and be a part of the climate change solution, just drop us a line at team at oneplanetpodcast.org. Thanks for listening.